What's up, Tebby people? Welcome to episode 14. Today, we're talking about the regulatory reform fire safety order. We're going to cover the most important articles, in my opinion, to help you manage fire safety, manage your business, and be cost effective. Okay, let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. Okay, people, welcome to episode 14, the Regulatory Reform Fire Safety Order then. Okay, so, bit of news first, I think we have our first guest booked in for this podcast. Woohoo, buzz in, and a prospective second guest on the line as well. Not on the line, he's not calling him right now. I mean, uh, like, in process. Um, and, yeah, if you're listening to this and thinking... I really don't agree with this guy or I really do agree with this guy or I'd really like to have a chat with this guy then drop me a message on LinkedIn come find us on Twitter or Facebook so Facebook forward slash riskfluent Twitter at riskfluent or come find me James McPherson on LinkedIn or even LinkedIn riskfluent as well we're on there as well so hit us up if you want to have a chat hit us up if you want to hear something let us know and we will provide it on to you anyway regulatory reform order then the RRO or the FSO depending on who you are what you are when you are and uh, what you want to call it either way it is a primary piece of legislation for fire safety so it was born from many other pieces of legislation, the Fire Precautions Act 1961, the Fire Precautions Workplace Regulation of 1997 and slash 999, etc, etc, boring, boring, boring. Anyway, they took them all, they rolled them all together to create one piece of legislation, the RRO or the FSO. So, let's talk about this order then. The most important thing, I, I think, or maybe not the most important, but the thing where a lot of people get quite confused, especially when we start talking about domestic properties, which it does apply to, but then doesn't apply to, and that's detailed in the scope. As is anything, it's in the scope. So, why do we talk about the scope? Well, for that reason, people get quite confused easily around the scope of the RRO. So... The scope is defined in Article 6. So it says in there that this order does not apply in relation to domestic premises except to the extent mentioned in Article 31 brackets per 10, which brackets 10 means paragraph 10. So that says in this article, in quotations, premises includes domestic premises other than premises cons- consisting of or comprised in a house which is occupied as a single private dwelling and article 27 powers of inspectors shall be constructed accordingly so what does that mean that means in essence guys where there is not a common area so therefore it's a single private dwelling the landlord can't do anything so it doesn't apply that's it simple. There's a common area, 
the RRO applies. So you own a block of flats, for example, you own a block of flats and you control the stairway and you control the corridors and you might control the plant room, something like that if you've got communal heating systems or anything like that. Other than that, that's pretty much it. Once that flat door is closed, you do not control beyond that flat door. There is a debate amongst the fire in industry and housing who owns the, fl the front door of the flat especially when you've got like leaseholders so they've brought like a practical freehold so they own the lease of like a thousand years or something like that stupid um there is debate around it the way i see it is it's, it is difficult because it depends on the customer and and that is just a nightmare isn't it when you say it straight away that's an absolute nightmare it, it is it is really important and i think that the easiest way to resolve it is you write it into the lease um so you sell the leasehold from the front door onwards so you know it begins literally from like a millimeter past the front door in my opinion you know you might have some housing lease experts say that's not possible and and they're probably right i don't know but there, there, there's got to be a solution out there somewhere i think we need to write into the lease that we the landlord own the the fire door because essentially in my opinion it's part of a wider shared service the same as heating and plumbing and electrics it's part of the overall fire strategy which is therefore a shared service so in my opinion it's the landlord's duty um landlords won't like that because it means they might have to potentially replace loads and loads of leasehold doors so what do you do about buildings where you've already got it and it's not written into the lease well i think that's a combination of maybe some legal proceedings around the housing act maybe there is a case study going on at the moment which we're waiting to hear from uh, or find out what what the decision is if the decision is one way it will set a precedence which will help us and i think it will mean that the tenant must either consult with us or they must they must do something they must up uh, you must must maintain the fire integrity of the door something like that that's what's going to come out of it it's hard to tell um that'd be interesting to see anyway moving swiftly on so it is complicated when it comes to domestic premises as is anything but also some other areas that this does not include offshore installations ships woods fields and other lands forming part of an ag agricultural or forestry undertaking but is but which is not inside a building it's basically fields and woods and uh, uh, oh god i can't say that word agricultural or forestry there we go um outside the building an aircraft locomotive rolling stock trailer semi-trailer used as means of transport for, or a vehicle a mine or a borehole site they're the things that don't apply so let's be honest i'm gonna guess i don't have many people that manage those listening to my podcast um but if you do one hit me up i'd be really interested to talk to you and number two Especially, actually, if you manage a borehole site, I would be very interested to talk to you about that. Um, or a mine, I'd love to talk to someone about a mine. Or even a ship, actually. A ship. Health, health and safety, very particularly fire safety on a ship. Maybe a submarine. Hmm, that would be interesting. Anyway, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent yet again. So, they're the things that don't cover. So, basically, it's everywhere other than sole houses. So, sole, no common area buildings offshore installations, ships, and anything outside, fields, woods, forestry, agriculture, boom, nailed it. Aircraft, locomotives, so basically transport, mine, and a borehole site, boom. 
nailed it. Easy. I don't. I don't see why it's complicated. Yeah, I think people make a lot of things complicated. So. What does that mean then for, let's say, a HMO? HMOs get quite confusing. I don't think they do because HMO, the room, in my opinion, is the dwelling and then everywhere else is a common area because it's common with the house so they all use it. So you own a student, uh, what they call it, student accommodation. That's a HMO in my opinion. Let's be honest, there's still there's arguments around the description of a HMO as well. Let's, let's just not get into that. <laughs> A house of multiple occupancy is a house where people, multiple people occupy the house. It says it on the tin. Anyway, so it's got a common area, therefore needs a fire risk assessment. So you've got anyone out there listening to the podcast who owns HMOs, don't forget to get fire risk assessment done. Does that mean you have to go to a consultant? No. Does it mean you can educate yourself and do it yourself? Probably. But make sure you educate yourself. Make sure you think about how you do it. Don't go straight to a consultant because they will sell you a 600, 200, 300, 500, 700, I don't know how much risk assessment and it'll be absolutely huge and it'll blow your mind and it'll be a snagging list, there'll be loads of things wrong. It's not that hard to manage fire safety in these areas because it's the same as your house. The only problem is where you start to get complicated customers in there. Okay, we could argue that students are complicated customers. I hold that up. I agree. But it's not that difficult. So, moving on because it's nearly been 10 minutes whilst I've been talking and we're not even past the scope yet. So, HMOs, domestics, they're really, really complicated sometimes, but then not complicated. So, pretty simple. I think where sometimes people can get confused as well is where there's something that's commonly referred to as a full repair and insuring lease uh r full f r i yeah full repair and insure fri lease um which basically means you do absolutely everyone everything as the tenant you do absolutely everything you maintain the whole property whilst the landlord sits on his boating at boat face flicking pound notes off the end like leonardo dicaprio in wolf of wall street essentially that's it he does nothing you do everything they're beautiful if you're a landlord lord you should be writing for repair insurance leases done does it though eliminate the responsibility from the landlord no it does not you still have a duty to that person and in my opinion you should still be checking what that person is doing so maybe you do a three-year audit maybe you go and check what they're doing maybe you just turn up maybe you just have good relationship with them maybe you ask for their virus assessment on a regular basis just so you can see it you know something like that i think there should be checks and i think there should be um you know checks and balances i think it's only good for you you're managing your asset you know what they don't manage their excuse me they don't manage their gas boiler system it blows up and it blows your warehouse up i think it's sensible to to do it anyway i think common sense anyway, don't mention common sense so basically, the, le- the the landlord does nothing, the tenant does everything, but it does not abolish the responsibility. They still provide, have to provide somewhere reasonable. So let's crack on with the actual piece of legislation. Then, even though the scope is a piece of legislation, well, part of that legislation. Anyway, waffling. Moving on. Article three. So you'll know these are called articles, I don't know why, somebody who is really, really clever when it comes to law might be able to tell us. If they do, again, hit us up, let me know. I am not a lawyer. 
and that essentially is why I'm doing this podcast because I'm not a lawyer and I'm trying to communicate it over to you in very layman terms so article three is the meaning of responsible person so the meaning of responsible person well this this piece of legislation essentially defines that you have to have a piece a responsible person so who is the responsible person and well the responsible person in in essence is is the owner of the building but only for what is under his control so it varies from property to property but the easiest way to to remember is that if you own something physically if you own something you have a responsibility so if you own a service to somebody or a property and you provide that property to somebody you have a responsibility to that person um so so you've always got a responsibility you never get rid of that responsibility and remember that um it's just how the extent of that responsibility and that depends on each individual situation so really you know it the easiest way i've always followed it is you follow the money so if you're paid for a service then then you have a responsibility for that service you and if you're paid for somebody to rent a property then you have a responsibility of that property obviously you're renting a property and then leases start to get involved etc and as we've discussed earlier it gets a little bit more complicated but you have a responsibility so it's normally pretty clear cut in my opinion but people like to overcomplicate it so article four then what's next next is the meaning of general precautions 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 general precautions anyway um and it basically if the general precautions is referred to quite a lot for other documents so and because it's a it's a statement a, a collective statement they they've explained it for you so basically it's measures to reduce risk of fire risk of spread um measures to uh maintain means of escape for the premises or design means of escape for the premises um means of escape can be safely and effectively used measures for firefighting um, on the premises detecting a fire and giving warning measures for actions to be taken in the event of a fire measures relating to instructions and training um, and measures to mi- mi- mitigate excuse me the effects of fire so in essence is managing the risk of fire uh, that's essentially the general precautions and that's basically what it says um, so really in my opinion there's nothing that complicated yet um there's just complicated cases um where you become um the nature of the service you're providing on the nature of the business you're in makes it complicated by default but you know what the law itself is not complicated and i think that's that was kind of my overall message of why i wanted to do the the law section the law is not not complicated it's a situation that you're in is complicated so let's crack on article 5 then duties under this order so this is an interesting one mainly for landlords so where the premises are a workplace the responsible person must ensure that any duty imposed by articles 8 to, through to 22 or by regulations made under article 24 within this regular within this order is complied with in respect of those premises where the premises are not a workplace the responsible person must ensure that any duty imposed by articles 8 to 22 or regulations under article 24 is complied with with respect to those premises so far as the requirements relate to matters within his control and that's the key bit so basically 
if you own a premises or you manage premises depending on your lease and everything so obviously most people that have own a warehouse don't normally own the warehouse um, or sorry run a business from a warehouse they don't normally own it they normally lease it so normally you're the person in control but when you're the landlord um, obviously you can create that control by your lease but when we're talking about domestic properties and domestic environment residential environments it becomes within your control so that's interesting that one is so just remember that it's within your control where a person has by virtue any contract or tenancy and obligation of any extent in relation to the maintenance repair of any premises including anything or in or on the premises or the safety of the premises that person is to be treated for the purpose of paragraph 3 as being the person who has control of the premises to the extent that his obligation so extends. So, how, how what does that mean? Well, that means I was chomping a block of flats the easiest way. So, the person under the tenancy has control from within the, the flat to within the dwelling. That is their responsibility. They are the responsible person for that area. The common area is out of their control it's not within their control that control is with the landlord because it's a common area that's the real easy way to explain it obviously there are complicated cases in which if you have a complicated case then you're probably going to want to hire a consultant so in general that's kind of part one and that's took probably over half of what the normal allotted time for these podcasts are so let's whiz through the rest then so these are not all the articles they're just some of the, the, the kind of big standout ones that will probably affect you the most so article 8 states the responsible person must take such general precautions so far as reasonably practicable to ensure the safety of his employees and in relation to relevant persons who are not his employers and take general fire precautions as may be reasonable um, as may reasonably be required in the circumstances to ensure that the premises are safe. So essentially, you must maintain a safe building. That's, that's literally it. You must have a safe building within reason. Article 9. So in my opinion, Article 8 is, is kind of a catch-all, in my opinion. Um, and then Article 9 onwards kind of drills down to the nitty gritty so article 9 then um, talked about the risk assessment so essentially it puts uh, onus on there must be a suitable and sufficient risk assessment um, for anyone that owns or manages a business or um, sorry a property and, and that's the kind of easiest way to look at this if you if you provide a service where you drive round the bit between in your transport as we've as we've kind of know depending on what you're driving in doesn't apply to have a specific fire risk assessment but you might address fire in that person's general work risk task based risk assessment or their their kind of job risk assessment and then they would ask to see the risk assessment or should ask to see the risk of fire risk assessment of the property that they go to because their work might affect the fire risk assessment so you know it, it's just kind of getting your head around that and the easiest way to work around it i think if you're kind of doing it like that is you would work fire into your normal risk assessment but if you own a building or run a building or manage a building or lease a building and you operate a business from it then you would be expected to have a fire risk assessment so it goes into further detail around like dangerous substances and having specific steps for those dangerous substances and it mentions that several times throughout the um, throughout the order 
so it also talks about having to when to review those so it reviews it um, when you su suspect it's no longer valid or there's been significant change so organization organizational change technical change special change premises change um, anything significant extensions conversions anything like that will affect the fire risk assessment therefore it deserves a review so when you get these consultants come and doing a fire risk assessment and they whack a annual review onto your risk assessment you can tell them where to go because it doesn't need that so it's on you as a business to decide that so on a risk-based uh, policy I would say so kind of you know kind of if you have multiple different versions of properties or multiple different versions of, of processes or something like that then you would have a kind of tiered approach or as a business you might say well I think we should do it every three years as a as a as a kind of quality check or you know as a given we would do it every three years however we will approach the consultant when there's been significant change do not allow your consultant to dictate it's annually because it's just a license to print money they're on a cash cow all of these people because everybody's scared shitless about fire risk assessment so do not let them dictate the way forward <clears throat> it says don't employ young persons without considering the risk the same as it has were in uh, health and safety at work at and then finally it says what to record and yet again it's exactly the same so when you've got five or more employees um, whether a license dictates that you must record it so uh, HMO license um, or alterations notice requiring this enforced um, in relation to the premises um, you have to record the significant findings again just the significant findings so don't be writing a snagging list and don't be doing absolutely everything or covering sorry absolutely everything because it's completely not necessary so moving swiftly on then article 10 details principles of prevention yet again give or take it's exactly the same but we're looking from perspective of fire now so again we've got eliminate replace segregate or remove engineer control procedural controls and ppe now it does reference that differently in schedule one um, of the order however if you kind of drill down into it it's, it's essentially the same thing it just says it differently so if you want to look at it from a fire point of view to eliminate you've got to start thinking about the fire triangle so you've got heat oxygen and fuel so you want to try and keep them separate or remove one don't remove oxygen or <laughs> within within reason um, you might start seeing a reduction in, in uh, production reduction in production mm, anyway um, you know replace hard to think that maybe you're using a, flamm a flammable chemical you replace that with a non-flammable chemical if you can um, segregate remove so you could segregate heat sources with fuel sources um, engineering controls so you might have automatic suppression something like that in prayers procedural controls you'll have a risk assessment you'll have a policy you'll have training information instruction PPE PPE is slightly different in uh, fire so fire extinguishers uh, in my opinion are classed as first aid fire appliance so they're this a personal protective equipment mm, is it personal protective it, it's not personal protective equipment but I think it falls into that thing it, it's a it's a last port of call um, literally the last port of call like as you're leaving the building because the fire's licking your ass you'd have that in hand so that that's where you would sit it it's not the same thing it's kind of first aid fire appliance as it's, as it's sometimes referred to but it falls into that area I think 
that being said, um, you are required to have it in one of these articles, which we will go over in a moment. Moving on then, Article 11, Fire Safety Arrangement. Basically, proportionate to your undertaking, you should have a management in place, same as Health and Safety at Work Act. So, all this stuff kind of works together, they just repeat each other. So, basically, it's the same stuff over and over and over again. So, if you can't catch you with one piece of law, they'll catch you with the other. Article 12, elimination or reduction of risk from dangerous substances. So you've got specific dangerous substances from a fire perspective, then you have specific duties to manage those, so fire to be practicable, to eliminate or remove. Article 13, the responsible person must provide appropriate, here we go, firefighting equipment and detection. Firefighting equipment's pretty easy um, to manage. There's quite uh, clear British standards out there. There's a lot, to be honest, there's a lot of guidance out there. We'll, at the end of the podcast, we'll kind of point you towards some handy guidance. But when we're talking about fire detection, especially when we start talking about difference between commercial properties and domestic properties, it can get a little com- complicated. So the two easiest ways to work this out is the British standard, in my opinion. And when I say easy, it's still quite complicated. But And there's a lot of information out there, but the two standards that should be working to is British Standard 5839 Part 1 for commercial properties and British Standard 5839 Part 6 for domestic properties. Part 1 for commercial, part 6 for domestic, okay? So remember that. So when, if you, especially if you're a landlord and you're listening to this, um, just remember that part 6 is for the domestic properties. Now you might get someone come and quote you part 1 for the common areas and part 6 for the domestics so the dwellings, so the flats. If I'm brutally honest, it depends on the property. It's hard to gauge and it's hard to give you an answer for all. Um, it depends again on you know what type of building. If we're talking like a general needs purpose-built block of flats, no, it's not um, required and it's not it, it's not necessary. And actually, most of the time, it becomes a pain in the ass. But people kind of do it as a they think it's the best thing, but actually, it's probably not. Um, you know, if you've got a specialist housing, it becomes a different game. It's very, very complicated, and I do feel for myself actually because of working in that industry. So, <clears throat> moving on. Article 15, then. So basically, that just says you must have procedures for serious and imminent danger and dangerous areas. So, pretty simple. Um, if you've got anything that's serious and, and imminent danger, must have a procedure to control that. Article 16, emergency procedures for dangerous substances. Article 17, maintenance. You must maintain what's in your control. Again, leases can complicate this, so wherever you can, kind of whack out the full repair and insurance leases. Um, but, but just if you if you lease a property or you are the leasee, I can never always get these wrong way around, but there's like the leasee and the leasor. So if you're the leasee, so you're the tenant basically, just be aware of what you have a duty to maintain, what's in your control according to that lease. Um, if you own a property and you, you work in that property and your business operates out, that, that's pretty simple with you. Um, but whatever's in there, you've got to maintain it, people. It's pretty simple. It's an asset in your business, so why would you not? So if you have a lease, check it, um, check that you're doing what you're responsible for doing and just make sure your landlord's doing theirs as well. 
uh, Article 18, safety assistance. So basically, this is talking about hiring somebody competent. So again, this is proportionate to the risk. So somebody may be in a warehouse or a factory. You might have like an engineering manager, quite technically competent um, anyway, because of the nature of their role. Maybe you can add on fire safety to theirs and then they work together with your existing safety professional. Or maybe you've got somebody managing safety as a role and then you work fire safety onto the engineering manager, something like that you know that for a medium to well low risk property which most of the processes are low risk nowadays you could probably fit it like that and work it like that but that's just one example yeah so don't go jumping straight to a consultant because they will just whip out the cat the, the blank check and you'll just keep writing them all the time so just have these conversations as a team you know as your senior management team all sit down together and real discuss this think about the law what does it say it says a competent person yeah it's all proportionate to your risk so have a think about what you do have a think about the risk fire is simple stuff people yeah <clears throat> so article 19 uh, and 23 the provision of information to employees and then the provision of information for people that are not employees and everyone else basically so they should again have suitable information so this would be provision of like an induction or signage or anything like that let's be honest the inductions receptionists hate doing them and people hate listening to them as well so you know there's got to be some innovative ways that we can think about doing those I've seen some pretty cool videos that you have to watch trick is there to not keep not not go on too for too long um, simple signage you know don't overcomplicate your fire action notices yeah? yeah I've seen this a lot where they're really overcomplicated or people move away from the kind of base standard um, com uh, sorry blue signs and signals one so they move away from that one and they go and create their own I just think like it's not necessary you know most of the time it's not necessary you know if you do need a specific one then try and keep it looking the same so keep that kind of blue mandatory signage feel about it so that people can pick up on that if it's a different color it's not it's not ingrained in their head that that is an emergency sign or a fire action notice try and keep the same feel you know like the exclamation marks and stuff like that um, try and keep it all the same consistency is key so article 21 then the responsible person must ensure that their employees receive adequate training training and again it's very similar to the health safety at work act so unemployment um, being exposed to new or increased risk because of change of roles change of responsibility new equipment new tech new systems etc etc it must be suitable and sufficient it must be repeated periodically and adapt adaptive to change you know and take place in work time simple stuff all this stuff is you know and and that's kind of why I'm whizzing over it. It's not, it's not complicated. Any of this stuff is just not complicated. And like I said earlier, it's the situations that are complicated, not the law. So when someone's going, oh, it's health and safety gone mad, it's not the law that's gone mad because the law is dirt simple. It's really, really broad and it's really, really kind of broad. Broad is the easiest way to explain it. It has to be broad, it can't be specific for everything because everyone's so different there is an interesting article however in the regulatory reform order which i think is overlooked quite quite a lot so i'll read this one out as it is written so bear with me as you've heard the last couple of podcasts you know i'm not great at reading out legal terms so 
<clears throat> let's go where two or more responsible persons share or have duties in respect of premises brackets whether on temporary or permanent basis close brackets each such person must a cooperate with the other person concerned so far as is necessary to enable them to comply with the requirements and prohibitions imposed on them by or under this order b brackets taking into account the nature of his activities close brackets take all responsible steps to coordinate the measures he takes to comply with the requirements prohibitions prohibitions yeah, imposed on him by or under this order with the measures the other responsible persons are taken to comply with requirements and prohibitions imposed on them by or under this order and Jesus Christ C take all responsible reasonable steps to inform the other persons concerned of the risk relevant persons arising of or in connection with the conduct of his undertaking God there we go it's done sorry I thought there was more but there's not thank God that's it so that's really wordy way of saying in my opinion that one you must communicate with your neighbours essentially it's kind of like the neighbour principle in my opinion in civil law it's the same kind of thing and it's about your effect on someone else so you need to be aware of your effect on someone else and in here it's a legal duty to communicate with this person of the risk that you're undertaking poses potentially to them so they may you may have a setup where you're leasing one part of a warehouse and their evacuation route is through you you have a duty to maintain that clear route now not just to yourself but to your neighbor as well so you have to take reasonable steps to ensure that they can use that you have to cooperate with them now let's think of this from a trying to be cost-effective point of view here's an opportunity now so you would read the RRO and you would think, right, I need to do a virus assessment for my undertaking, so for my business. So let's say we've got a massive warehouse, it's split into five, for example, right? So you would get the landlord and then each one of those business probably doing a virus assessment. That's six virus assessments for the same building. Completely nuts and over the top. It is not necessary. It's not necessary. And believe me, it happens. I've seen it over and over again, time and time again. So why don't we all work together and say hey why don't we just approach because it's quite complicated because there's five different people and there's the landlord maybe the landlord will go and do his own whatever why don't we approach a consultant get them in and one representative from each business will escort the consultant around the business we will talk about what we do and we'll take them through it and we will do a fully comprehensive fire assessment for the building together as one more cost effective one bill not five simple simple stuff so that is kind of the main bulk of it there is one notable mention article 38 maintenance of measures provided for the protection of firefighters basically building owners you have a duty to maintain anything that the fire service might use or it might present a risk to them so dry or wet risers is a good example if you know what they are great if you don't they're essentially pipes in a building that go all the way at the top so that the fire service can pump water from the bottom all the way up the building with an outlet at each floor 
you live in a block of flats, a high-rise block of flats, you'll probably see a little red square rectangle with a, with a with glass on it and um, and then a sign with a little red flame on it. That's a dry riser. So you have to maintain that. If you don't maintain it, it needs servicing like once a year. So that, that's it. It's not, not nothing crazy. If you don't maintain that, the fire service turn up to use it, it doesn't work, you are massively liable, not just to your customers now, but to the firefighters as well. So bear that in mind compartmentation you know if you provide a stay put policy for example in a block of flats that not suitable for that block of flats so it's a converted property it's not purpose built then you're putting the firefighters at risk not just your customers at risk if you don't maintain compartmentation of a purpose-built block that operates stay put policy for example then you again have a duty to the firefighters not just the customers fire fire evacuation lifts firefighters will use said lifts you know just think about these things you know if you own blocks of flats as well not that i think i don't i probably don't have any housing associations listening to this or people that own blocks of flats but anyway just in case you know having control of those common areas within reason um some of the stuff that's in there might pose a risk to the fire service so you've got to think about that as well so Let's close this out then because we've gone over the normal a lot of time. Um, so we cover quite a lot, have whizzed over them. Um, you know, there's 53, art 53 articles and five schedules in this order. Um, they're all massive documents, but they're legal documents, guys. So there's a lot of words, but when you drill down into it, there's one golden thread. And that golden thread is a couple of words like adequate, suitable, sufficient, as far as reasonably practicable, etc., etc. You know, these mean in my interpretation that it's proportionate to the risk it's proportionate to your business and it's the same thing for all of these regs you know so who decides that it's you you decide that you decide if you're competent you decide if it's proportionate to the risk how do you find out if that that's that's good enough well you really and truly find out when you're in court because when you're in court you didn't do enough and that, that unfortunately that's the downside of it good is expected of you and bad is punished so that's that's the downside of it however there are other ways to find out you know let's work a bit more collaboratively with our stakeholders with our competitors you know with consultants you know consultants do have a role to play in this they really really do but not how they're being utilized at the moment where it's just give it to a consultant they'll go and do it they hand you this copy and paste fire risk assessment and then they bugger off and send you an invoice two weeks later that's not how they need to be used but then they can be used with you know consulting they get the luxury of seeing so many different industries and so many different ways of working that they can be that gold mine that you need or that kind of sense check to see if you're doing things right so get them in to have a look at how you're doing things from a broader perspective but be open and honest with them but firstly when you get them in say I'm not here you're not here sorry for, for to produce me a copy and paste snagging list virus assessment you're here to tell me if you think what I am doing and the decisions I've made are proportionate and practical and reasonable and sufficient and suitable and adequate to the risk and to the law that's it but be blunt with these people and know your stuff as well don't be like me when my boiler broke the other week and I and the, the plumbers going 
who, who's a friend of mine, so hopefully he's not listening. But the plumber is going, I really think you should um, replace it, mate, not fix it. And, and the only thing I had to go on was my trust of this person. And luckily, as I say, he was a friend, so I did trust him. But he could have been leading me down the garden path because it was easier, cheaper, and um, a bigger profit margin for him to replace the boiler. I doubt that because he's a friend, but could have been the case same with when you go take your car to the garage you you want to see what's going on you want to see the tire when they says oh, you need to replace the tire mate. all right cool i want to see the old one you want to have a base knowledge of this stuff so that's what i'm saying when you go and get a consultant try and get a bit more information first so you know what you're going on about so where can you get this guidance well the department of local governments and communities produce some really good guidance around fire risk assessments so they they cover all matters of area so each kind of area that i'll list them off for you but each area has its own guidance it doesn't cover everywhere and just be cautious to look at the scope but and I'll go into why in a second, but let, let's just read out what, which ones there are. So there's offices and shops, factories and warehouse, sleeping accommodation, residential care properties, educational properties, small and medium places of assembly, brackets holding 300 people or less, large places of assembly holding more than 300 people, theatres, cinema and similar premises, open air events and venues, healthcare premises, animal premises and stables, transport premises and facilities. So pretty much guys, you know, that's, that's a lot of properties there. And actually there's guidance there that works quite closely with this piece of legislation. So this essentially, these are your eight cops of fire. So why did I say bear in mind the scope? Well, from let's take for example the sleeping accommodation one. So it could be deemed that the sleeping accommodation one is all domestic and residential properties. No, unfortunately it's not. It does get very complicated around which guidance applies to which property because there's such a variety of properties out there. It does get complicated, so just be very cautious to read the scope. If you are in a residential property game, I would probably advise finding a good consultant and having a good relationship with that consultant. Do not assume that 10 years service in the fire service is competency. Depends where they came from in the fire service. Depends what they did in the fire service. Do not assume that being an accredited member of the Institute of Fire Risk Managers or the Institute of Fire Engineers is an automatic badge for, badge for competency. Ask to see some of the risk assessments, ask to see case studies, then go and get a new case study yourself, go and, find, go and ring these people for testimonials and say, hey, you use Bodyplot, how was it? You know, you, you're still not going to be able to guarantee it, but you'll have a better, better idea. So essentially, guys, that's it. Um, we got a couple more episodes coming around law, maybe just one more, maybe two, I'm not sure, I've got one on the books which hopefully we'll have a guest on to talk about with as well, um, and then maybe one more, but we just want to cover the main big ones, um, and then probably back on to the normal stuff. So that's it, thanks for listening guys, peace out, be safe, bye bye.